You know, there was a day when space travel was not possible. Do you ever think about that? One of the most iconic images uh, in all of uh, history is this portrait of one of our astronauts on the moon, and he's placing a flag, we, we'll, we'll say planting his flag, kind of declaring this new frontier, this new opportunity, going places where no one else had ever gone before. And he makes this, what, what, what's the statement? It's a, it's a small step for a man, a huge leap for humanity. And we've grown up as generations believing that there are no boundaries. That space travel is just actually the, the beginning of first steps of places where we might go as humanity and, and plant our flag, declare that there is a new uh, adventure ahead of us, a new world for us to be a part of it. I mean, you can't, you can't talk about space travel and not think about, you know, the opportunity to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, new civilizations, and to boldly go where no man has, I'm sorry, I've got to get my nerd on this morning. Are there any Star Trek fans in the house? Are there at least any William Shatner fans in the house? You know, come on now. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to have one of the most unique voices outside of Christopher Walken, doesn't he? You know? I mean, when you get to do Priceline, that, that's just, that's like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I'm this is what happens in squirrel. I mean, that's, this is me. This is constantly, okay? So don't join my community group, okay? I'll just, I'll just tell you that right now. No, the truth of the matter is, I think as people, we look forward to opportunities uh, to take adventure. And oftentimes, it's the extension, it's where other people go that often makes us go, well, maybe I could go there too. Maybe I could live differently. And the truth of the matter is, you come in on a morning like you do today, and you look around, and you go, wow, look at all the people here today. So why don't you, why don't you look around and see all the people around you? There's, there's quite a few people, right? But as much as God is excited about you being here today, he's as concerned about how, who you'll be out there tomorrow. And I think sometimes in the American church, we put such a priority on being here of, well, I went to church that we forget that the calling is to go be the church, to go live as the church, to be the witness, to be the example, to be the presence of Jesus everywhere we go. And so we've been in this series called All In, and I appreciate many of you have prioritized the last four weeks to kind of, kind of recharge yourself, re-engage yourself, to say, yes, I want to be a part of what God's doing in this local body. But we've begun to unpack this simple idea that we are all in to surrender to Jesus. That's really kind of a summation of our, our mission, right? That we are all in to help people surrender to Jesus. We are a movement of surrendered people. We are not a people about it's my will, my way, my desires, my hopes. It's about God, have your way in me. God, change me. God, use me. God, if it means dump my life out and put it back, then God, do that so that our lives collectively are a portrait of surrender back to Jesus. We talk about this in four G's, to gather, grow, give, go. We gather by prioritizing the practice of celebrating Jesus. We grow in groups because we believe circles are better than rows, right? That's when we get face to face and have a chance to pour into each other's lives. That's when we're stretched beyond where we would naturally grow on our own. We talk about giving 
of our time, talent, and treasure. And last week, we really talked about our desire is 100% engagement. That every one of us that call this place our home, that we would serve, that we would give of our time and our talents, and that we would collectively give of our treasure. Not because God needs it, but because God has blessed us and we have the opportunity to give back and join in his mission and to do incredibly more than we could ever ask or imagine on our own. And so today, we want to talk about what it means to go. What does it mean to go live out this idea of being the presence of Jesus? Now, a few weeks ago, we unpacked a passage out of Matthew chapter 28. This is what we call the Great Commission. Eric unpacked it, talking about sending us and who we need to be as as believers. This is what the passage says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking at this point, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. And Eric just laid out this this compelling conversation about how we need to live as people who are transformed by by the power of God's Spirit in us. That our character, our community, the very conscience of how we live as people begins to be a light in a dark world. It begins to impact the people around us. So today, I I just asked the question was, what does that look like? I mean, Jesus came to this earth. He died, was buried, rose again. And after his death, burial, resurrection, he actually has this moment where he regathers his disciples together. He gives them this command to go, and then all of a sudden you open the book of Acts. And the Acts, book of Acts is this discussion about how the early disciples made disciples, how the church was born, and how the church was the power and presence of God from then to our generation now. Acts 17 is the passage that we want to look at today, and we're just asking the question, what does it look like to go? What does it mean for us just to go? How do we live out our life of faith, and what is, how do we begin to kind of dial in on what it means to pursue who God is in the world that we're a part of? Acts chapter 17 is where we want to begin today, but let me set it up uh, just a little bit. The conversation begins in a community called Athens. Now, Paul has been on a few missionary journeys, and in fact, what he's doing at this point is he's actually uh, going and he's communicating, reaching out to other communities, other, uh, other people to kind of share, this is who God is, this is what God has meant to me. And, and we remember with the person of Paul that he's had this radical transformation in Jesus, meaning he was fighting against people who followed after God initially, but then had this face-to-face encounter with God where he heard the voice of Jesus And spends a period of time just surrendering his life and growing in his walk with God. And then God says, now I'm going to send you back out to the very people that maybe maybe you persecuted or maybe you imprisoned. And I need you to be a living testimony of the transformation that happens when you give your life to God. And Acts 17 is part of these missionary journeys. And Athens is one of the places that he stops. And he stops at a place basically called the Areopagus, which is literally a rock. It's a place where people gathered, and the council of the Areopagus was a group of philosophers and theologians and thinkers of the day. And oftentimes, legal disputes or 
moral crisis situations would come to these leaders and they would speak into this environment out of a value system of what they knew to be true of their culture, of their time, and of their day. We have to begin to ask the first question if we're going to be the people who go. We're going to have to ask God this. Where are we to go? I'm going to give you four questions today because maybe some of you don't feel like you have a a flag to plant. Maybe some of you are unsure about, I'm not sure where to step out or how to step out or what to even do if I was to step out. But Paul gives us a very tangible scenario where we see him step into an environment that is not his own, but he very much lives as the power and presence of God in real time. It's interesting, the city of Athens is just filled full of idols and, and, and what we may call as art, but it was literally objects of worship for their day. And they had multiple gods around them that would represent different things of their day and their culture. But uh, there, there's, these, there's actually some gods that have no name. Meaning the culture has gotten to the point where, you know, there's, there, there's, uh, there's gods who oversee fertility or the harvest of crops or, or, or the rain and sun. But in case they've missed one, they've made an extra God says, we don't know, know this one, but if it's out there, we want to make sure that we give credence to where credence is due. And Paul's heart goes, that's exactly where I need to be. What's in this room is, or on this rock, are two people. They're called the Epicureans and the Stoics. Epicureans are are a philosophical school, so to speak, that valued pleasure over everything else. They pursued the fun. They pursued the senses. They pursued the excitement and found their value in things like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Live for the moment. You only live once. And so they chased life as hard as they could, but the Stoics... Well, they believed in a supreme God, but in a, in a, in a sense that it was uh, uh, multiple gods in everything and everywhere. And they often found themselves more reserved, denying the flesh, denying the things of sensory to take on a very logical approach. And so these two worlds, one of great pleasure, but a God who is far off, and, and one who believed that God is in everything, but it's about self, Paul steps in and he says this, starting in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. You could actually insert the word spiritual. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant to the very thing that you worship. Now, this word ignorant, let's just grab it for a moment. This ignorant word, this is where the English word doesn't always capture the real sense of it. He's not calling them idiots. He's saying you lack the knowledge of what you don't know. And that, by its definition, is what ignorant means. But we tend to use it in the English language as an insultory or defamatory way. You're ignorant to the very thing that you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Now, Paul begins to speak to what is a void in their culture. 
I mean, I think we look at this world and we think about the city of Athens and all of its great power and all of its great strength, and it's a highly educated environment. In many ways, it's very, like, very much like Champaign-Urbana. It's got great thinkers, great philosophers. It's got some of the best of the world could ever provide. And so a think tank is a great place to go and begin to speak into values and culture. Uh, Paul specifically oftentimes went to the cities because they were the epicenters of change. If you could transform a city, you could transform a, a country. If you could transform a country, you could transform a world. And so Paul goes to the very heart, the very root, the very place, and he speaks to the environment that's around them because everywhere he looks, he can see the values of the day. Now, we, we don't have statues around our community, right? We, we don't have these statues that oversee this or oversee that. But if you went around and we were to, we were to talk about what our community values... Maybe we'd see a stadium. Maybe we'd see a vehicle. Maybe we'd see a business. And we see people who give their lives to that, right? Caveat, did you know there's kind of a joke amongst pastors that when the Illini lose, attendance goes down? Did you know that? We worship all sorts of things. It impacts our mood. It transforms the things that consume our mind. It leverages our hearts so that we live differently. And Paul just squarely just steps up and says, hey, this is what we need to understand. And, and, and Paul understands this is the community that I'm going to go to. And then he begins to ask this question, who are we called to reach? Who do, who do we want to reach? Who is it in your life that you look at and you go, you know what, I can see that they're giving their life away to something else. I can see their inner heart, their desire is to, to live a noble life, to make a real difference. And, but when I look at their life, I can see all these scatterings of things that are somewhat valuable, but it's not true value. It's not life-changing. It's not God-centered. It's not knowing Jesus personally and transforming every portion of their life. The challenge comes for many of us, though, when it comes to planting our flag, is that many of us believe that planting our flag is just giving our life to Christ. There, I did it, right? And so we stand and hold our flag and say, well, I did what God wanted me to do. I accepted Jesus. I got buried in the waters of baptism. Whew. But the gospel message doesn't stop with us, people. It's supposed to invade us and then work through us. The understanding of this gospel message that Jesus died, buried, rose again, conquered our sin, overcame death, became victorious over the powers of evil, is supposed to impact us in such a way that it begins to propel us back into the community. So where should we go? Who do we want to reach? Look what happens when Paul begins to recognize these people are the place that he's going to plant his flag. Verse 24 says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all nations. We're talking about Adam. 
that they should inhabit the whole world. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And though he's not far from us, from any of us, for in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul walks through this community and begins to see these statues and idols trying to figure out their worldview of why, where they find their place and their time and their history. Paul begins to speak into their life and say, hey, you, you, you know that there's a God, but you don't know that God personally. And not only do you, do you know that there's a God, but you, you understand that if there is a God, that you belong to that God. You were created for God. You were created in God's image. You were created in a way to be leveraged and used for God's glory, for God's fame. So let me tell you about it. Paul gives a real quick worldview that God is not sitting in heaven hoping that humanity begins to give their life for them because God can't do what God wants to do. God's not limited. God's not, God's not sitting up there in some way sulking. No, God's at work in the midst of us. And, and Paul literally tries to give this portrait that if you seek him, you will find him because God is not far from us. God is present. God is personal. Matter of fact, in this experience, Paul's living out the reality of his own experience with God where he knew that Jesus was crucified and buried and rose again and fought against that, rebelled against that. And over time, God began to work into his own life until now he sent I guess when we begin to ask the question of where do we want to go and who do we want to reach, I think we need to begin to think about our life in this way. What do you want to say? When you see people around you that maybe live of different values, who are longing to know who God is, the truth of the matter is words are often the last tool that we use, right? Our actions, our hospitality, our, our way that we speak and value people, the way we love people, that should be the clear foundation to everyone that we have a relationship with God. But there comes a moment that someone may say, so why do you choose to live your life that way? Have you ever thought about what you would say if somebody asked you? Have you ever thought about what you would say if you were pressed? Why did you give your life to Jesus? Guys, it's an invigorating thing to take hold of our faith, to accept Jesus, but it is empowering when we understand why we gave our life and how it's transforming our world. There are people all around us that are longing to know this relationship with God. One of the things I like about this is that Paul uses current culture to connect Christ. Sometimes as a church, we've been known to do music off the radio, right? And some people go like, why would you do that? Why would you use that? Because people who are searching for Jesus have learned their values out there. And when they hear them in here, in the context of who Jesus is, 
pieces begin to come together. Yes, I am an 80s metalhead, and that's probably why we do some of the music that we do back then. I'll, I'll confess that too. But there are conversations, there are relationships, there are values that are being expressed in a world that have not found a key to unlock what they're looking for. And when played in the context that they come face to face with their worldview of Jesus, those gaps begin to be filled. So Paul speaks to their poetry, to their idolization, to the culture of the day, takes the very framework of their worldview and says, the reason you have all these pictures, portraits, statues, idols, the reason you chase all these faiths, religions, uh, worldviews, practices, way to live your life is because you haven't found the one. You just don't know what you don't know. But let me tell you what, what I know to be true. Here's what he says in verse 29. Since we're God's offspring, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, we overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed, meaning Jesus. He has given proof to this given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Paul begins to give this testimony of who God is. We were born of one man, one woman, we are now going to be judged by one man. The first Adam, the second Adam, meaning Jesus. One was born into creation and purity, but sinned and broke it. The other came pure. God in flesh gave his life and is restoring creation back to what it's intended to be. But Paul makes it very clear that the God that we all seek The God that we all long to know will one day stand as judge and ruler over all of us. Every one of us will give an account of what our life has been. Paul brings this conversation to a a point of decision. And the question is this, how do we respond? Where do we go? Who do we reach? What do we need to say? But, But how do we respond? Friends, the truth of the matter is is that God's calling each and every one of us to step up and step out. Some people will sneer. Even some people today will will maybe just continue to keep coming but kind of keep God at a distance. But God is inviting all of us not only to receive his grace but to live as a witness of God's grace. Whether it's in our work, whether it's at home, whether it's in our play, that we need to be the kind of people that are prepared to respond to point directly to this is God is at work in me. Because here's the truth. God's change in us should lead to God's change around us. That's the big idea. That God's change in us should lead to God's change around us. And so if you as a Christ follower are a person who is living out your faith, 
who, who said, I've, I've given my life to Christ. I've accepted his free gift of grace. There should begin to be evidence that God's transforming work in you is impacting people. And no, it doesn't mean that everybody in your workplace is going to ask you to love Jesus and why you love Jesus. It, it may actually mean that some people uh, sneer and push back. But the reality is, in everywhere we go and everything that we do, our life should impact the world around us. We've been wrestling with this as a church and at our volunteer banquet, we actually uh, wrestled with this idea of how we want to be able to begin to mobilize our groups. We want to come up with a resource, a tool that we could put into the hands of our student ministry, of our group's ministry, of, uh, of a variety of our ministries. And we thought, you know, we need something that like... Uh, Let's say if we wanted to do an act of compassion at the, the Unity St. Joe football game, because there might need to be compassion in that rivalry, right? You know? And what if our, as, as people uh, of Jesus, we would show up and we would throw out some grills, do some tailgating, and as Christ followers, uh, families from both sides would be grilling burgers and dogs and giving out water and something to eat and tailgating in the midst of them. Wouldn't that be an interesting message to the community that we're a part of? Or let's say a community group said, I, I want to do a block party to my neighborhood, and maybe there's an open lot next to their house, and they said, well, let's, we'll rent some inflatables, we'll get out some grills, but we're going to make a block party. We need, we need a resource that gets there that lets people know that we love them. And now this resource does not have our church's name on it because, well, we don't want them to know our church. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to know us. And so, friends, maybe you saw it last week, but let me introduce you to the Go Truck, our latest resource for ministry. Watch this. The Go Truck. A fully equipped ministry outreach tool. An idea born through a church yearning to serve differently. We can now go places unimaginable. With your generosity, First now has the means and horsepower to go to the next places, to the next opportunities, and to the next Christians. We do not want our church to be known by our name, but by Christ. And Christ calls us to go. Isn't that pretty cool? You guys are like stunned. You're like, what in the world are we going to do with that? Well, the truth of the matter is it's going to be your resource. It's going to be your opportunity. Muhammad marching bands out practicing all day long. If somebody wants to go take Gatorade to them, come grab the truck. Fill it up with Gatorade and just say, hey, we, just, we, we know you work hard. We love you to death. Maybe Unity's softball team's out there busting its hump trying to get ready for this spring and you, you can see things coming together and you're just like, you know, I, I, what if we just got together and got all the families and just did a, did a cookout? What if we went there? Friends, there's a lot of ways that we could plant our flag. And our, our flag is not about ourselves. It's about our surrender. 
this fall we will uh, we're going to throw Christmas parties for all the foster parent agencies in our community we do this a few years in a row now we give out gift cards to every household how do we do that? through the generosity of our church that people give to the mission of this church people volunteer their time to serve maybe bake goods some of us dress up like Santa and get our picture taken with kiddos and some of us make Christmas cookies and, but we serve hundreds of families children who desire a forever family. We, we plant our flag there. In the spring, we do a thing called Night to Shine, right? A special needs prom. We throw a party for people who uh, deserve a party. Who deserve to know that they're loved. And this room looks like a giant prom room and people eat over here and people dance over there and the music's even louder than what it is on Sunday mornings, and it's a hoot, right? And we plant our flag. This Halloween, Salt and Light has asked us again to do trunk or treat with them. So we take the back end of our vehicles, we fill it with candy, we decorate it to some sort of theme, and some of you guys are pretty creative. You did great. But we plant our flag. Not for ourselves but of our surrender. Because over 2,000 years ago, Jesus planted a flag in a cross. His life was fully surrendered. An example of purity and love. That Jesus gave up everything of himself so that we might experience God's love in a real, personal, tangible, historic way. Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. The cross was just the beginning. The empty grave is where life is found. And every one of us, when we gave our lives to Christ, when we were buried in baptism, there was a, a flag that was handed to us to go live a life of surrender. And so as a church, we start asking these questions, well, what do we do with the 85 households that live north of us? Towards Rantoul, towards Fisher, towards Hoopston, what do we do? We wonder if God's maybe asking us to plant a flag. What do we do with the, the rising group of students, this young generation that's coming up in our colleges, in our universities? What do we do about Campus Town? Maybe we're supposed to plant a flag. But all I know is this, is every one of us have one of these. And whether you're on the diamond or on the field, whether you're in a courtroom or a classroom, whether you're staying at home, whether you're traveling the world, Whatever God has given you as your gift, 
There is somewhere to go. There are people to reach. There are things that need to be said. And we need to be prepared for how people will respond. I wonder if you want to plant your flag. I wonder if you want to help us plant flags. What would it look like if all around our communities we just begin to see white flags in our yard, in our office, in our schools, in our banks, in our hair salons and pedicure points? What if every time we walked in, we began to see white flags, people of surrender who said, this is the way of Jesus. Join us. Let's pray. God, move us in this moment. Help us to pour out our lives. God, some of us today are wrestling with whether we want to fully surrender to you. Maybe it's through our talents and our schedule. Maybe it's through our finances. Maybe it's in standing up and being a witness in the world that we're a part of. Not beating our friends out of, beating our friends the fool with our Bibles, but uh, just being able to say, hey, I can tell you're looking for something. I don't know everything. I don't have it all fixed. But can I tell you how Jesus has begun to transform me? God, move us and change us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Friends, in just a moment, we're going to respond. Some of us will come to pray, and some of us will go to one of the six tables around the room where there's a candle and there's some bread and there's some juice, and we'll eat that bread and drink that juice. We'll be reminded that it's Jesus' body that was broken for us. It's his shed blood that paid the price for us. It's an open invitation to anyone who believes in the sacrifice of Jesus as the salvation for their lives. And some of us will make decisions today. We'll take the connect card that's in front of us and we'll, we'll either walk it over to one of these give and respond boxes. There's four of them around the room. Or we'll take it to our guest central. But you're gonna get connected to a group. You're gonna make a decision of faith to be baptized. You're gonna, you're gonna sign up to volunteer. But don't let this pass. And every one of us have a chance to give of our finances to help fuel the mission of this church. And so let me encourage you to grab the Give app to make a decision, a commitment to fuel the mission of what God's doing in us and through us so that we don't just plant flags on what we have but we plant flags because we see God leading us and moving us and challenging us to boldly go where no one else has ever gone.